A good conversation can shift the direction of change forever. Would you leave it to chance? Join the authors of Design to Change and explore this series of conversations with designers and event owners. Driven by the need and conversations with event owners and event designers who use the event canvas around the world, this series explores the depths of conversations to elevate your abilities to look and act beyond the now. Episodes are hosted by Rude Janssen, Rue Friesen, Dennis Lehrer, and Paul Rukens, with illustrious changemakers, designers, and pioneers in the field of design and beyond. To explore these conversations and additional content, visit designtochange.online. For now, let's start the conversation. Conversations. Welcome back, Dr. Kristen Malek. Um, it's been a year. It's been a year, just over, I think. So year plus one. Um, if people had had heard right what you said last year, mm-hmm. or read what it says in the liner notes, it says that. Uh, and we, we can check the delta, right? Uh, that you were that you were uh, you're at the University of Nebraska Lincoln, where you're the event management extension specialist and assistant professor, and you share your views and experiences in using the event canvas and the event management program with your students. One thing that stood out from last year's conversation that I'll remind people of that I haven't heard about it was that you compared um, design processes to staircases, right? Um, and you might not necessarily know what's at the end or at the bottom of the staircase, but all you have to do, instead of having, you know, full confidence of the outcome, you should just have confidence in the process. Mm-hmm. And to me, that was like one of the nuggets that I clinged onto, like Velcro, um, <laughs> because it's the mindset that any trusted advisor has, right? Is that they're okay with not knowing, uh, but at the same time, so much is changing in the world. It feels like nothing changes day on day. But then you look at a year back and you go, "Whoa, that was a lot." So absolutely. Just, yeah, That's the same with kids too. I mean, <laughs> every day it doesn't seem like it's changed and you look back and a year has gone by and you're like, wow. Exactly. Right. So what's, what's up with your, with your daughter? I mean, she, she, she's grown up a year, obviously. Um, I'm an empty nester. My son, my <laughs> daughter, my daughter graduated from a master's degree. My son just went off to university. Here I am. Right. <laughs> How about yeah. in your life? <laughs> Abella just turned seven. She, um, decided she was going to quit gymnastics and join Taekwondo. And she actually wow. just broke her first board yesterday. So that's kind of, <laughs> that's where I'm at in my life right now. <laughs> Seven-year-old breaking the Taekwondo board. Crazy. And she's so small for her age too. And uh, everyone just towers over her, but she broke the board. So that requires tower, tower focus beyond the board, right? You have to set the aim way beyond the board to go through the board. Exactly. And channel your energy into the right things. <laughs> well, it sounds like the apple doesn't fall, fall far from the tree in this case. Everyone keeps telling me that anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so tell me, what's happening in your horizon of change? Because last year we were so excited to get started that we didn't even really stand still a lot with your horizon of change last year. So now we got to catch up. Well, I think last year we were, didn't we record it in the middle of a different webinar or something? Yeah, yeah I remember. I think it was a PCMA event. Things have been just crazy, as always, crazy in a good way, always focused on transformation and impact. I think we, you, you referenced the staircase and uh, just taking that to new levels. One thing that I've really uh, done in the last semester, last year, 
is I've really transcended beyond the classroom. I've used the event design canvas and event design process in my class for so long. And over the last couple of years, especially during COVID, I was really kind of using the design process to help other teachers redesign their classes. And I was invited to speak a lot on that and, uh, and do a lot of things with that. So I had been doing that while we were talking last year. And just recently I was asked to kind of spearhead a project for the college to help redesign the entire head, higher education experience. So wow. just continuing to, to, to increase with impact in the staircase of, okay, Dean, you know that that means that you have to trust the process. <laughs> and so that has, has been really incredible. And I've been helping other colleges within the university do some strategic planning through design thinking and human-centered design and just trying to um, impact the whole systemic structure, which needs a little bit of help. So yeah, that's what I've been up to. <laughs> so that almost begs the question, um, what prompted the, the college to, to, to ask you that question? Or what, asked, you know, what prompted that question? What was the want or the need that the event owner in this case, or you mm -hmm. could say the college experience mm -hmm. owner, what prompted that, do you think? I think there were three things, one of which I won't talk about, but okay. <laughs> um, the, the other ones in particular, I have a very visionary, very, very visionary Dean. And she, I think she started two or three years ago and she just has this incredible vision and she knows where education needs to go. And she's been working to get there. And I think when you get so hung in the weeds with your, with your, your day job, with the, the job that's expected and required of you to attend all the meetings and put out all the fires that sometimes you just need a little bit of help to be able to, to manage a project, to manage a process. And I think I've just developed enough of a reputation with the other colleges within the university and within my own college that uh, this was a, a fantastic opportunity that was presented and I'm super excited about it. Because <laughs> we're talking all stakeholders, right? We're talking redesigning the faculty experience, redesigning the student experience, redesign at all levels, the first year, the second year, third year. I mean, who says there has to be four years, right? We're redesigning the staff experience. And it's really a perfect, a perfect collaboration of all of my skill sets from the past in terms of experience design, education, uh, just so many of the things that I'm doing right now. It's, it's just beautiful. <laughs> it's like, I'm living, I'm thriving in my sweet spot as a education strategist and education experience designer, essentially. Education experience designer. I love that. So, um, that's quite a big order to look <laughs> at it from the faculty, the student at all the levels. You're questioning, should it even take four years? You've got this staff experience. All these people, you know, tenured professors, I can just imagine you've got like staff that might be very new or very experienced. They just went through this turmoil of COVID change. There's a lot, there's a lot of dust, right? There's a lot of things that are like, uh, it's murky water, maybe almost in like the clarity as, as how we look into the future. Um, how in all that kind of murkiness do you, um, how, how do you lead that kind of change? What, what's, what's your style, would you say? 
Absolutely. You know, as our good friend, Joe Pine would say, he says, never underestimate the power of one passionate individual. <laughs> I like to think that I'm that person in this situation. I, I'm just going, I'm following the, the staircase. I'm, I set up a process and I'm going one step at a time. I have some end goal strategies in mind of things I want to put in place. And I, I'm trusting that the steps that I'm taking are, are going to, to get me there. But I also sit there and reevaluate after every step and I iterate and I prototype and I pull in new people being able to, I come from a hospitality background and in hospitality, we say, if you take care of the employee, they'll take care of the guest. And I think so long education's always focused on the student more from a customer experience, uh, a, a customer user experience mind frame where we're just trying to remove barriers, remove barrier, remove barrier, remove barrier. And, but that's not what we want to do in a classroom setting because transformation doesn't come without a little bit of motivation and struggle. And so really trying to, to emphasize the order of things you, we have to take care of our faculty or else they'll never take care of the students. You can streamline the process, but if the classroom experience isn't right, the students are still not going to have transformation and, and really trying to think of things cohesively because what really happens is so many universities and colleges right now, they're trying to, to piecemeal. They're trying to put band-aids. They're trying to say, well, I'll fix this one thing or I'll fix this one thing. And to have someone come in and just have time dedicated to say, we're just going to redo the whole thing, like from scratch up. And we'll, I'm going to get the proof points. We're going to talk to the faculty. We're going to talk to the students. We're going to re-envision all of this. And and then to get everybody on board <laughs> through communication and visuals and research and data, and then to try to enact as much of it as possible at once to truly have an impact, not just focusing on 18 to 22, having diverse, you know, a diverse students who says the four-year plan has to be a thing. It's really shifting a lot of mindsets about a lot of things at once. And so in order to do that, you have to design transformational experiences for your internal stakeholders so they can get on board. So change is a noun and a, and a, and a verb, right? Both. Which one do you use first? Like in a sentence? <laughs> like in the conversation you were having with your visionary dean, right? So um, she knows where education needs to go. She has this kind of overarching aim vision. Um, Sometimes when visionary leaders speak, it could also alienate, you know, the level of abstract thinking or the level of like the altitude of their conversation it can sometimes um, cause stress or cause distress in a group of people that can't connect to that like long-term change, right? Or like, like they can't dice it into a small yeah. step. Um, how did you involve the others in that conversation after you, you had that? No, first the question is, how did you um how did you enable your your dean to express her vision how did you do that well the dean being this wasn't the question i thought you were starting with at the beginning <laughs> so the dean uh is very clear about what her vision is going forward has said it at every single college event and strategic planning and um etc cetera, etc cetera. Mm -hmm. and it's one of those things kind of like a passive classroom or a passive speaker at an event 
where it's not going to be retained or integrated and it's not going to be transformational unless someone's intrinsically motivated to learn it. And then they kind of do it on their own. And there was conversations that we had. She had set a vision. And then I said, I think this book would be really good. And I bought the book and I gave it to her. And Mm -hmm. then we had a meeting and we followed up and I said, what did you like about this book and these areas? And this is where I could kind of see it going and just kind of continuing that conversation. So it's not just one person out on an Island trying to do everything by themselves. And And that's really, I think one of the problems with large corporations or organizations right now is, and and I just got one myself just the other day, even here at UNL, not in my college, but it's like, come attend this workshop on workshop culture. It's kind of like the teaching sessions, only the good teachers go to the teaching sessions because they care about teaching the the teachers that really need teaching sessions. They don't go. (laughs) And so you can't just put out focus group requests or having workshops or webinars and just expect people are going to show up, especially post COVID. They don't have that motivation. So taking a much more individualized approach, asking the faculty individually, how do you like to be appreciated? How do you like to be shown? Is that a news article? Is that a handwritten card? Is that a, a Starbucks gift card? What does that look like for you? And really customizing their experience as much as the students. So you've answered the first three questions. I think you're like, <laughs> you're either a visionary or you have page 46 or 47 of Horizon. I don't, I don't. But I, I think I did this last time too. I, exactly. But it's, you know, I'm trained in the process. So that's how my brain thinks. <laughs> exactly. So you've answered, you know, how do you involve others in what you design for? How do you articulate the value it creates? You started dipping into that. Let me ask this other question here that we have is, um, how do the events you design, right? Because these little micro interventions or, you know, whatever they are, you were saying like, you know, here's one way of doing it and here's another way of doing it. And you showed the delta between the two, maybe. How do the events you design become markers of change in the organization for the bigger change process, right? Because you look Absolutely. at, okay, changing, you have these five different stakeholders or actually faculty, student year one, two, three, four, you've got staff, you've got all these different people. How do you, how do you keep people abreast of what's going on and what the change, process looks like? How do you do that? Absolutely. I'm actually going to give an example from a project I did for a different college within UNL. That's not my home college. I was contacted because I'm a great facilitator and event designer. And someone from the Dean's office said, we are thinking about incorporating engagement into our, into our college and having that be part of our evaluation documents, our tenure and promotion, all of the things. And we need to get our faculty on board because this is really important. Um, but we, you know, it's just another thing to do. We need them to, to get on board. So we did a whole event design workshop, one person from each category in each area. Actually, that's the picture I sent you on LinkedIn that day, I think. Mm-hmm. And we did this event design And we designed this incredible, um, actually it ended up being three events, these three series of events. And then we were kind of debriefing and we said, well, what's the barrier here? And the barrier was not all of the department heads were on board with engagement themselves. So it was great that the stakeholders we identified were the, it was the right stakeholder, but it was really step two. And so what we did is we actually did a mini design session 
uh, two weeks later for these seven department heads. And we said, we, if we don't get them on board, nobody else in their programs are going to get on board. So we need to design an experience, a transformational experience for them. So that way they know what it is and they care about it. And then they create word, a word of mouth. And so that's what we did. We designed a, a really great uh, one and a half hour event that was broken into parts. Like one was knowledge. And then we gamified that in a similar Jeopardy style. And then one was application and how can this work in your actual departments? How can you see it working? And then one was reflection, all kind of gamified in a little bit. And there were some prizes and and then, and then there's some prizes throughout the whole year of if you're advertising this to your program and then they get involved in these events, like what does that look like? So it generates word of mouth. So that's, that's really a, a large example of how not only did we structure the one event, which became a series of events, but then we had to design events prior to those events to get those events to be effective. I love how you, let's say you have that one guiding question, which is like, you know, what um, what is the barrier we need to remove in order to get this next increment of change implemented safely or securely or because every one of these little barriers could obstruct a smaller piece of change that ultimately leads to the bigger tsunami of change that you're intending for, right? So I love how you um, are so humble about being a great facilitator. I expected nothing less from you, Kristen. Uh, you know, this is, you need the confidence as well to be a trusted advisor, right? Go at eye level, you know, and, and, and look them in the eye and say, well, you know, here's what you want, but maybe this is what you need. And uh, let me, let's talk about the barrier for a minute. We might have most people on board, but if these seven don't get on board, this is the barrier. And here's how we design a micro experience to change the behavior around that one little barrier. And I think many change, bigger change initiatives might fail because you cannot have that flexible focus or they don't have the um they keep their 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 eye on the bigger change but don't focus on the small barriers that might make you struggle before you even get to that next step and yeah pe people have used the analogy like I, I don't know if it's popular in europe or elsewhere in the world but they say you can't see the trees through the forest or you can't see the forest through the trees. Yeah. And I've been told before that I, I can zoom in and out yeah. as I need to, or want to, which I, I guess a lot of people can't do that, but it's, it's always been so natural for me to be able to zoom in and zoom out like that, to see the bigger picture, but also focus on the details. It was interesting for that one group, their stakeholder analysis in the first part, that whole entire group, none of them even identify the department heads as a stakeholder. And then when we identified and, and created this event and went through ideation and prototyping, and we had our event, then everybody was like, wait, this is a stakeholder that we need to, we missed, one. Yeah. we missed one, right? We missed one. And it's not that they were the end user, but they were a gatekeeper to the end user. And so no one had considered the gatekeeper at the very beginner, very beginning because they weren't the end target market, but they became very important. So I think um, sometimes in the process, you discover that things that you that are so obvious then in the process, it's strange that they didn't get addressed earlier, right? We've, we've had a very, almost one of our first event designs was a very similar situation. Uh, where we noticed that we had to uninvite a stakeholder from the event in order for the key stakeholders to be effective at the event or through the mm -hmm. event, right? So, and I think this is always, um, it's not like because you missed that in one part of the process and you validated it, that you should not pay attention to it later on when it becomes an obstacle, right? Because I think 
it's almost like the barrier you were talking about that could become a barrier to a successful event design because you forgot something very essential earlier on in the process that only later became apparent. Exactly. Um, well, and sometimes the design of the event itself, like if you're using one stakeholder to generate word of mouth for another stakeholder, then they raise an importance that maybe they didn't even have at the beginning, but it's based on your design. And that's why this process is so great with the iterate, you know, ideation, iteration, going back and forth and prototyping mm -hmm. because uh, things will always change. So. So in a busy environment of universities, because everybody's always very busy, I suppose, or mm -hmm. that's what I hear from universities we speak to, um, maybe not at the University of Nebraska, but <laughs> um, how do you claim the time of those different stakeholders or the people you involve in your design effectively? Absolutely. That's actually something that I've been going through lately because it was really important to me in higher education to say this is a grassroots initiative that even though Sherry says this is our vision, our, my dean says this is the vision and, it, and it's a strong vision, it still needs to be faculty led because we're in higher education and getting the faculty to be heard. And sometimes their opinions might not be the opinions of administration and getting uh, that buy-in, what I have found, and it's my secret sauce and, and people don't do it because it takes time is I've just been meeting with faculty one-on-one -on -one, and I have a giant list of questions that will all get funneled into different parts of the process and the project that we're going to. But I meet with them one-on-one -on -one, and that way I can take them where they're at and I can help guide them to where they need to be. And some people might not take that long to get there. Mm -hmm. And some people might take a long time to get there, but without having that individual touch, and, and I know it's time consuming. And I know that's why a lot of people don't do it, but that's what we need right now. If you're talking about redoing an entire system, getting buy-in from tenured faculty who have been here forever, all the people who had the, the great resignation in their own heads or their quiet quitting or whatever the terms are, then you, know, you have to re-engage them. And that's only done on an individual basis. They have to talk with you and share with you about their life. And then they have to believe that it's gonna go somewhere, so. Yeah. So I picture like, and I'm curious, like what um, people are just listening to the audio here, right? But um, <laughs> um, what I'm seeing uh, on our recording, because we're in two parts of the world, is like a blurred background, which is very often how people look into the future, right? It's like very blurry and it's opaque. Mm -hmm. um, do you have like a, like, a, like a space where you lay out your whole like master design plan? Is there like all these w things on the wall or what, what does it look like? Or is it like all on your computers or <laughs> on your head or on, on, in a notebook? Or what does it look like when can... you go back to like to your dean or when you give like a here's an update on where we are with the master redesign plan of? I'm just curious. That's uh, so I unblur my background. It's hardly ever on. I'm in my office at the university. These are all whiteboard walls, but I'm not using them for this, this initiative, because I don't want to risk anyone coming into the office and seeing other people's answers or getting biased or yeah. having preconceived notions. So uh, a lot of it right now is on Google drive, but I yeah. do have a master map at home in my home office on the wall, mm -hmm. lots of post-it notes and a sticky wall. 
And, and I, I am going through and saying like, would this go with this? Does it need a core curriculum? Does it not need a core curriculum? Uh, I know this is in this department and these are in this departments. And, and all of those are starting to come out through the interviews of like, I'm healthcare. I don't understand why I'm not with this other field as healthcare. They're placed over here just because people might end up in schools, but they're actually healthcare. So they should be. So all of those things are coming out, right? Which generates proof points to then take to administration to say, you know, this is really the thoughts of everybody. And maybe there are things you've considered and maybe there's things you haven't. But in my Google Drive, I've kind of got in my brain what all of the end outcomes will be, what the deliverables will be. And, and I continue to add folders if I think of new things, like what's the marketing campaigns that are going to go along with these? What are... Um, is there going to be a handbook that goes along with this? Like, what is this message going to look like? How is this going to get communicated? Are there going to be new programs? And then I just have one master file that says brain dump. <laughs> and I just put all the things. I just filled it up with a page and a half this morning. Just so you just get inspired and, and creative throughout the whole process. So many different things come up. I love how you use your home office differently from your university mm -hmm. office. Because yeah. there's a form of, it's almost like a private room in mural or an open room in mural, right? Mm -hmm. So um, sometimes the the underwater thinking or the subjective thinking that happens or like the, the relational thinking that happens needs needs a place for, for you to digest it, right? And mm -hmm. I very much recognize that we're very often when we're working like on a book or on a structure or on a new thing, I, I need to print it out and put it up on a wall and look at it. And mm -hmm. the sheer fact that you run you know, even subliminally look at it regularly, it kind of ferments the ideas in your brain, right? And then you don't even need to look at it anymore because you know what's there, but it's the visual representation really helps you do that. Well, um, and also I think we talk a lot in in this process about claiming design time and, and claiming this time, but I've also intentionally claimed my own time on my own calendar where I have that hour and a half or two hours every other day to have creative time where I can go into my office and at home, get my lighting exactly how I want, turn off my phone, shut the doors. You know, my daughter's at school, nobody's home. And I can just like get in the zone. I'm not interrupted. I don't have people knocking on my office door. I don't have 5,000 emails. I'm not on zoom calls, <laughs> you know? So, um, I'm being intentional about claiming design time in my own calendar for, for kind of the creative process. I think that's really powerful because when you're making like a Marshall plan for, or we could call it the Malik plan for the, you know, the, <laughs> the redesign of like this, this whole infrastructure of different layers. Um, I'm really encouraged by the fact that a, you're super enthusiastic and, uh, still as geeky about, you know, process trusting versus the outcome that you don't know what it's going to be yet. You just have to mm -hmm. suspend your disbelief that somehow you're going to get there someday, right? And, mm -hmm. and obviously you have to manage the expectation of your dean and of all the people involved. Mm -hmm. I think what you're hitting here in terms of like that space you have in your own home when, you know, your daughter's not disrupting the phone, is not going on, mm -hmm. like the use of space mm -hmm. to um, collaborate, but not over collaborate you also need mm -hmm. reflection time you also need mm -hmm. like digestion time fermentation time for things to grow on you you know and to and, and to see how they kind of move over time um i think it's it's uh, i think you know like like usual you're i think three or four steps ahead of where some other people are making a micro change in their organization but sometimes i almost feel like if you are able to claim the mandate as a trust advisor of the whole thing 
Mm. And instead of like you were, you're saying piecemealing, you know, let's band-aid this little problem there, right? Mm -hmm. And it takes a lot of effort to get that one thing sorted because the other part of the system is not in line yeah. or in, in thinking in the same way, right? So mm -hmm. you're almost like doing what IBM did 10 years ago, you know, going from an engineering company to a design company. Uh, but you've got to change 200,000 people mindset through, <laughs> you know, a group of, you know, 20,000 people, um, you know, listen to uh, uh, Michael Ackerbaumer's podcast also in the same series. He's describing how a mechanism or a visualization method or, you know, a thinking culture can, can be changed, but it takes a lot of, I mean, it takes a number of people that are fully versed, confident in the facilitation and the structure of how you do that. Yes. And on top of that, need to be able to speak as a trust advisor to the one that owns the change mm -hmm. and be able to relate to every micro problem like you were designing for those seven department heads that mm -hmm. if that hurdle barrier doesn't get taken away, the whole thing might trip, right? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> think, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. And because well, you care deeply about the bigger thing, mm -hmm. what I'm seeing is that that momentum you're creating is like, it's, it's almost like invincible or unstoppable. In, yes. In the positive Hopefully. sense of the word, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, and it's interesting because when this project started, it was like, here's, here's three semesters and here's three strategic initiatives, do one each semester. And I'm like, no, that's, that's not how it works. You can't just take something in silo. It's all part of a cohesive system. And if you're truly designing these different experiences, they all, it's, it's an ultimate Venn diagram of you have the students who have their experiences by themselves, but then they also have experience with staff and they also have experience with faculty and then the same for each of the other parts. And you have to look at all those cohesively in, in one area. And so many times people just want to say, I'm just going to talk to faculty and I'm going to redesign their experience, but it'll never stick because you're not doing the other two. And, and I understand with time, right? Time is something that we can't get back, but also sitting there and saying, I, I, you've given me time to pursue this project that I'm, I love, I'm super passionate about. And I'm asking the questions. I just had one yesterday. It was, it would have only gone two hours, but we, we went three hours. He was having so much fun, 13 pages of questions and notes and all of the things, values and motivations and appreciation and how you got here and, and what is the future of higher education? How would you structure the college? What's your ideal classroom look like? What is What do you think are the pains and gains for students? And then we'll compare that with students, right? <laughs> and then like thinking of like, do you wanna work in the office? Do you wanna work at home? What's your ideal environment? Because all that can be customized per person, but nobody's asking people or they're sending out a survey and then they're aggregating the survey. No, we're in a customized, personalized environment now. And we have all of this technology at our fingertips. There's no excuse why we can't, why we can't customize. And because people have for, felt forgotten for so long, they gladly accept my invite when I'm like, Hey, can we go to coffee? Like, I just want to talk about, you know, uh, UNL and, and what, and the future in education and and stuff. And so uh, obviously I'm starting with uh, this subsect of people who remotely know who I am. <laughs> and then, and then I'll continue to move on to people that don't know who I am, but that will generate word of mouth in and of itself. So people will get excited to talk to me. Is it easier to do that in an environment where people do or do not know you? It's, you know, I will say if, if you believe in Finder by Gallup, 
My number one skill is relator and my number two is futuristic and my number three is strategic. So I, I do think it's important that they feel a, a sense of relationship or, or at least authenticity with you uh, or with me, I guess in this case, because otherwise they're not going to be honest about some of these things. And, and it all comes back down to relationships. And here I'm, I don't have five weeks to, to slow court you to get you to tell me on a scale of one to 10, what do you think is the future of higher education? You know, I need you to, to, to come in and, and feel trusting and feel open and know that I'm trying my best to do the best that I can and that, and change will happen. And, and I do think that based on the order of the questions, the types of questions that I have, it does naturally lead into that. By the time we get to anything that's job specific or, or college specific, we've already talked for over an hour about personal lives and kids and parents and siblings and, and backstories and like why you got in this field. And so you do build that relationship. You use a couple of words that make me think of the let's say slow porting. I haven't heard that before. I like that. Um, uh, you're an authentic facilitator, but I think more than that, a, um, uh, your attitude to the questions you're asking are very authentic, right? So it means that even if people do or don't know you, um, they're challenged in their own assumptions immediately when you start asking the question or when you open the conversation with the question. And I think what I'm seeing is that, um, that capability and that capacity, if that, um, uh, if, the, if you can deal with the complexity of whatever the simple outcome should be, right? Because mm -hmm. it's 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 a complex change system that you're doing. You're you're not just changing the wheels on the car that you're driving, but you're kind of changing the engine to an electric motor or maybe you know hydrogen motor, and mm -hmm. you know, you're turning it upside down and making it go underwater and into the sky. Mm -hmm. um, and at the same time, the the rest of the thing is still working. Mm -hmm. Do you, do you sometimes get overwhelmed by the magnitude of change you're trying to push here? Or is it, I mean, it all sounds like you're, you have it fully under control, which I expect nothing less from Kristen Malik. But tell us, like, what are some of your successful failures or when have you hit a barrier in your own facilitation skills that others can learn from? You know, I think the one thing that I'm being super cognizant of is not not putting the cart before the horse. Like you can't advertise that your experience has changed until your experience has changed. And, uh, there was one commit, not education related. It was a, an initiative in the community that we were trying to start up across two States. And we were trying to get a designation by the government. And I was director of marketing and communications and, and I did my job very well. <laughs> that everybody knew about our initiative and our little webinar grew and grew and grew. And I think our third ever Facebook post had something like 7,000 active engagements, third post ever <laughs> Facebook. And so I did the job well, but I did the job too well, too fast. And we, we got a lot of uh, recognition, but we weren't ready to answer all the questions. We weren't ready to deal with some of the um, naysayers who came in with slander and, and we didn't have the facts and the evidence and the proof points gathered yet to be able to, to kind of refute those. And so I'm, I'm pre-planning all of those things. And of course, you know, I have students helping with this, right? <laughs> so the students are, are doing event design canvases for what is a, what is a first year student 
Um, what are they going through? What's their recruitment? What is, you know, what are the questions being asked? And what is that? They what's were your that just a year yeah, ago or exactly, whatever. Exactly, yeah. exactly. And so I, I think, I don't think the end goal ever gets overwhelming for me personally, because I trust in the process. So I say, okay, uh, and I'm a planner, right, by heart. So here's my end goal. And what are what are the 20 steps in my timeline in my action plan to get there? And which one do I do this week? Which one do I do next week? Which one do I do next week? And then looking and saying like, okay, my student right now can work on the first marketing um, initiative, social media campaign. It's not gonna get released till February, but you can still have it ready and ready to go while we're collecting this information. We already know our slogan and what we're doing. And, and, and you can do that. You can also go do all this research over here. That's for phase three, because we have capacity right now to have all this extra time when we continue to get more and more data points in and more and more interviews, we'll have less time. So just being uh, very efficient and effective with time and recognizing that it's individual right now, but then it will go to focus groups. Then it will go to small. Then these groups will be doing canvases themselves. And then uh, and then we'll be sitting down and doing a world cafe forum and like building on, you know, what these experiences kind of look like if we're going to do it in a core or not in a core. Mm. And then hopefully, you know, I kind of think about this as a pilot, which is even more exciting because if the system works here, it can work elsewhere. And that can really impact higher education in general, because there's a lot of college of health and human sciences, human services, colleges of education, and each person will still need to be heard as an individual, but it mm. won't take as long. The, some of the initiatives won't take as long. Developing the tools, you won't have to develop them. You'll just implement them. You know, the research will already be there. So uh, yeah, so hopefully it can grow into a big thing and will transform higher education to be transformational everywhere. As you do, right? Yeah. <laughs> It's the Malik plan in action. Um, I like I, I, I like your example of, you know, uh, of, of the readiness, right? So, I think not being or being too fast can sometimes mean that um, someone overtakes you from the wrong angle, mm -hmm. and you've overlooked what's at the core of you know mm -hmm. is is evidence based research, proof points, the validation of the thinking, um, and I think that's very interesting. So, 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 so the speed and the momentum you create on one side can work against you on the other side. You've got to balance these things out a little bit yes. to make sure that they work together. And um, use the speed and momentum from one thing that's super passionate and then help funnel it into something that you know you're going to dread a little bit later. <laughs> so you can get them both done at once and yeah. really scheduling for marketing communications because I'm so passionate and, and I see that goal and I want to I want to run to it. I want to sprint, but I know I can't. So that's going to be my hardest part is like, okay, Kristen, you know, the, we've got to, we've got to take the time, you know, take the time to make the time. Yeah. Well, Kristen, your energy is contagious as usual. Mm -hmm. um, I hope you've inspired many of the people listening to, mm -hmm. you know, our experience that we had last year. Now you're in the midst of this massive change project. You know, you're designing to change, but also delivering the change as you're going mm -hmm. through the redesign of an ecosystem really of you know a full educational within one of the colleges or a number of the different colleges you don't take one one at a time out of the three but you do them all at the same time i like this idea of capacity planning putting your planning skills into the design cycles that you're having at micro and macro level um i think um yeah i'm very impressed by the work that you're doing uh, the proof is i was in the outcome right so if i would call your event owner today and I would ask her 
now that you've listened to this podcast, <laughs> um, how do you feel as the event owner <clears throat> about the change and how is that going? What do you think she would say? I think if she listened to this podcast, I think she would feel confident that she chose the right person to lead the church. Awesome. <laughs> that I am just... Uh, I'm very, it's right up. I mean, you've known me for many years now. This is, this is right up my alley. It's all the things that I just love so much. And it's just really a sweet spot. And some people don't like that spot, but I'm thriving in it. So I can, I can tell, um, I'd love to, you know, last week, yeah, last week we recorded a podcast with Nick Bonora, um, and his, um, um, his Dean, um, uh, or assistant, assistant dean, I forget. Yes, um, and it was very interesting to have the two in the conversation. Mm-hmm. Now you're probably feeling the direction I'm headed here, <laughs> uh, <laughs> because this was, you know, event yeah. owner or let's say owner of the change uh, from yeah. the office of engagement at Purdue University, and mm-hmm. you know, uh, the one in charge of you know thinking about how does change not just happen at the university, mm-hmm. but also social change across the state or across yeah. all sorts of layers of things that the university touches. Mm-hmm. Um, would you take on the challenge of mm-hmm. inviting your event owner together with yourself, mm-hmm. maybe a little bit further down the line, right? When mm-hmm. the things are starting to become a little bit less opaque and mm-hmm. um, would, would that be a challenge that would be worthwhile considering? I'm not saying we should do that, right? I'm just like, do you think it's something that would be <laughs> challenging for you? Oh my gosh, I would love that. I would, yeah? I would. I don't know that it'd be a challenge. I would just love that. I think that cool. would be so much fun i well, would say you know if you're putting another placeholder on a calendar for a year then you know i think that, that placeholders right are good yep and then i think that 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 would be so much fun to get together on a call well um challenge if you accept that challenge i'm up for it you're the first person that we're going to do a year plus two right Ooh. um and i think that conversation between the two sides of the spectrum will be extremely interesting um uh, hopefully, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I count on that to be the case. And if not, we can always, uh, you know, reconsider that or take the learnings out of it. I think that's very valuable. But thank you for offering to want to be to do that. Uh, you're in the middle of a huge spider web with all these sub spider nets, and and I can see that you're very excited about it. And I'm I'm excited to see you excited. Um, thank you for spending 45 precious minutes with our uh, auditors on the 15th of September 2022 about all the change you're designing at the University um, of Nebraska. Um, And um, look out for that invite. Send me the name of the person that you would like to invite or maybe you would like to speak to her first. Uh, And then we'll happily make that conversation happen. Um, And I'm sure that many of the podcast listeners will be looking out for that episode too. Absolutely. Well, thanks for inviting me. It's it's incredible how your one process in the event design canvas, it's not just for individual events, which I use it strategically all the time for individual events, but it also is for overall experiences that are composed of individual events. And I don't know that people think of that like that all the time, but I know that's how I use it. So. Well, as a dad of two university going, um, well, my daughter just graduated from one university college and from uh, from a master's degree in another country. Um, I wish those roadmaps would be much clearer, both for the students, for the faculty and for the staff, but also don't forget the um, relatives of the students, (coughs) because that user experience can make a very unique um, value proposition, I think, for the Mm -hmm. university um, Mm -hmm. before you consider going there or after you finish. 
because mm -hmm. I think those that are at the beginning of the pipeline and at the end, at the receiving end of employing the people coming out of those uh, degrees, yep. I think should be part of your design delight factor. Well, parents are, and as our employers, and I have a sweet spot for parents here because in events and hospitality, you know, parents in the United States say, go get your business and your engineering, computer science, work in the hotels uh, as a job that you have until you get a real job. And so I'm very sensitive to messaging to parents because I've been in a lot of hospitality programs. So trust me, they're in there. You're in there just for you. <laughs> awesome. Well, thanks so much, Kristen. I look forward to speaking soon again. Let's not leave the gap for a year. You know, we'll talk before that. Uh, will you be at IMAX America or you're too busy restructuring? Uh... I will be. I will be there. <laughs> and we will see each other in less than a couple of weeks and yes. uh, we'll get to catch up in person. Awesome. Excellent. Thanks so much. You've been hanging out backstage on Design to Change Designer Conversations. Thank you for tuning in and don't forget to subscribe and share conversations online using hashtag Design to Change and hashtag EventCampus. Want more thought-provoking content like this? Visit designtochange.online to purchase your copy of Design to Change, elevating your abilities to look and act beyond the now. Don't forget it's more than just a book. Experience a hard copy, audio format, video format, and even augmented reality. Experience it in your style and format. Tune into our next episodes and hear from more designers and change makers. Until then, we look forward to our next conversation.